congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, let's be honest. In this world of violent video games, Call of Duty and whatnot, murder is not as shocking as it used to be. You see it on the television all the time. Hollywood uh, produces television shows and movies that are woven and together in such a way that at some point you're almost, as the audience, craving the killing of the bad guy. The news on television at night have become more graphic because people have become so much more desensitized. They warn that what you are about to see may be disturbing to some viewers, and what does that cause us to do? We lean a little bit closer to the television. And that's why it's good that we come in our study of the Heidelberg Catechism to a consideration of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And we need to be reminded, again, as God's people, that even though the world may casually talk about killing, God's people are to respect the image of God in every person. Murder is a product of our fallen, sinful nature, and really it's something contrary to how we were created. The, the Bible, in fact, records murder with, with great distaste from, from the very beginning, from the very first one, which is the murder of Abel by his own brother Cain. And then we hear about Lamech killing a young man and then boasting about it to his wives. And we read about David as we move along, biblical history, uh, murdering Uriah because he had an affair with the man's wife. We read about Ahab and Jezebel murdering Naboth and Zechariah the prophet being stoned to death by Israel but at the order of King Joash. In the New Testament, we hear of many infants being murdered by Herod at the time of Jesus. And we read about the beheading of John. And we could go on and on. But then Jesus comes along and he takes all of this to a different level. In Matthew 5, verses 21 to 22, we hear Jesus saying this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And Jesus comes along and he clarifies that murder is not to be confined merely to the literal or physical taking the life, ending someone's life violently. He teaches us in his Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, that uh, murder can be committed even in our emotions, in our thought life, and certainly our words. And as, as God's children who are called to keep His commandments in gratitude for our salvation, we want to see again this afternoon that our Savior God calls us to thankful peaceableness in the sixth commandment. That's our theme. Our Savior God calls us to thankful peaceableness in the sixth commandment. In boys and girls, when we speak of peaceableness, it's quite the mouthful. We're just we're referring to being not violent, not being belligerent or contentious, quick to pick a fight, quick to, to get, uh, take our revenge on someone. We are called to peaceableness in our lives. We'll see two points. In the first place, what this command forbids, and then the positive, what this command requires. 
Well, we consider, first of all, what this command forbids as we seek to respond to our Savior God's call to thankful peaceableness in the sixth commandment. Let's recall once again what we heard in answer 105. When we're asked, what does God require in the sixth commandment? We answered, I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also, the government bears the sword to prevent murder. And our catechism, as it once again faithfully summarizes, pulls together scriptural teaching for us, reminds us immediately of what is obviously taught in the Bible, that murder is not confined to the actual taking of someone's life, though it certainly includes that. Murder, biblically speaking, extends to our thoughts, our words, and our actions toward our neighbor. Now, boys and girls, who do we mean when we talk about our neighbor? Well, our neighbor is not merely the people who live next to us or even the people who live down the street from us. We say that's our neighbor, but neighbor is broader than that. Our neighbor is really anyone we share this world with. Anyone whom the Lord brings into our path, that's our neighbor. And so our neighbor would include everyone in school, those we meet in public, the people in our church, these are our neighbors as well. Even the people in our homes are our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, our parents. In, in a certain sense, we consider them our neighbors because we uh, are mixing and mingling with them. We're coming into contact with them. God forbids us from harming our neighbor in any way, not even hurting their feelings. Any hostility toward our neighbor is included under murder. And so we see already how broad this command is and how much it covers. And if we want to obey God's law in thankfulness to Him, it means that we can no longer hold on to the old habits, the old ways, the ways that we used to behave, the ways that we thought were right before. We have to get rid of these things. We have to fight against this sin and every sin if we want to live thankful lives to our God. And yet, brothers and sisters, if we're honest, we'd have to admit that this is one of the sins that is widespread in the church. Every one of us, let's be honest, is guilty of it at some point. It's, it's one of those sins in the church we don't talk about very specifically. And again, let's be honest, it's, it's one of those sins that's it's hard to correct in your brother or sister because you know that you yourself are guilty of it. It's one of those sins that can be very subtle so that we don't even realize that we're involved in homicide. And it's, it's one of those, even one of those sins that we find it hard to pray about in our own personal prayers. Uh, I mean, when was the last time, honestly, that you, you prayed something along these lines? Lord, I'm angry with this person. We've had this falling out. This person did this to me. Help me to put this aside. Help me to lay aside these strong passions, this anger that I'm feeling toward this person. Help me not to hate. Help me to forgive. Help me not to hold on and savor this anger. We don't often pray like that, do we? And yet we have to. Why? Because God commands it. We are His people. 
And we have to remember who we are. We are God's people whom he has called out of darkness into his most wonderful light, the kingdom of his son. You think that Christians would, or at least maybe the people of the world, think of us this way, that Christians are such good people, such good-natured, kind, and nice people that they are really incapable of hate and anger. And, you know, we would hope that that's true in the church, but just let someone say something insulting to you. Let someone criticize something you did. Let's say, especially if you're on a committee in the church or something like that. Let someone in the church, a brother or sister, wrongfully accuse you. Or people you trust betray you. And the claws can come out pretty fast, can't they? And I think it cuts a little bit more deeply when these things happen in the Christian community because I think we expect more from each other. We, We look at each other, we say we're all Christians, we're all children of God, we're people of the book, of the Bible. And so when we do something, whether deliberately or unintentionally, we do something to anger someone else, it hurts a little bit more because we hold each other to such a high standard. And we find ourselves either saying to somebody or thinking in our minds, I can't believe that he did that to me. He's a Christian, and he did that. I can't believe that she put that on her Facebook page, and she's in my Bible study. We've studied the Bible. We've prayed together. It hurts a little bit more. But really, you know, it ought not to be that surprising or shocking. That's not to excuse it, but it ought not to be that surprising because we are all sinners. And sometimes we forget that about each other. Yeah, we are washed in the blood of Christ, but we're far from clean, let's face it. We're all sinners. We all carry murder in our hearts and are capable of all kinds of hate and viciousness in our lives. And again, that's why we need to come back to this, to such a commandment again and again, to hear it read and preached. And we need to hear the Apostle John, as he spoke by the Holy Spirit, say to all of us, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's quite the accusation, isn't it? But it's an accusation we're all guilty of. doesn't take us long living in this world, does it? to develop maybe a list in our minds of people that we can't stand. They just seem to rub us the wrong way. They irritate us. They make our blood boil. They do something. They say certain things that just angers us. It doesn't take us long in life to develop a list of people. Maybe it's just one or two, but people we just can't stand to be in the same room with. We can't even stand to breathe the same air that they breathe. But again, the sixth commandment, as we come back to it this afternoon, reminds us that we are not to be this way. It condemns us as murderers if we intentionally hold on to our hate and we don't seek reconciliation with this person whom we have had this butting of heads with. And again, remember why God forbids murder. He says it already at the very beginning, Genesis 9, verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God has he made man. People of God, even though the world, the unregenerate, may hate 
and kill each other. And they, they hate and kill each other based on things like race, religion, greed, politics, sometimes just sheer petty jealousy. The people of God are always to remember that all men have been created in the image of God. However flawed and sinful they may be, every man, woman, and child bears the imprint, the signature of God upon them. And we are not to hate them. The Catechism mentions specifically dishonoring people, which means making anyone feel small, making fun of people, bullying people, making them feel intimidated. I was talking to a gentleman in Lacombe just recently, and he was talking about his daughter who he said, it's strange, I don't understand what's going on. His daughter is 14 years old. And he said that she was always a very happy, jolly girl, lights up the room with her smile. And then suddenly, she's become very dark. And she's gone goth, as they say. You know, the black fingernails and black makeup and all that kind of thing. And never a smile on her face, always unhappy. So I consulted the one who I respect the most when it comes to 14-year-olds. That's my grandson, who is 14. And I said, why would this happen? And I was surprised at what he said. He said, well, it, you know, Grandpa, it doesn't really happen in Christian schools so much. But he said, in the public school system, where this girl was from, he said, it's self-protection in public school. He said, you go goth, you start wearing black so that people will leave you alone. They won't bully you. They won't intimidate you. They won't tease you. Apparently, in public schools especially, people who are more timid, more shy, more troubled, they become targets for the bullies. And so one of the ways that you can protect yourself, according to my wise 14-year-old grandson, is you go goth and you go dark. And so people are scared of you and they leave you alone because they think, okay, she or he is, is weird. And we better give them a wide berth. It, it's sad, isn't it, that these things happen? It's sadder even that, that many of these kids end up being the kinds of kids who end up coming to school with a weapon and decide to, you know, wreak havoc on the school, things like that. And maybe we don't have this, boys and girls. Maybe we don't have this as much in our Christian schools, but maybe we too need a wake-up call. You know, if we find it funny to make fun of other people, if we tease others to the point where they're afraid to come to class, they're uh, very embarrassed around us, you know, we, they're the constant uh, target of teasing and bullying in some, even the slightest way. Maybe we need a wake-up call as well. I mean, we need to remember that this too falls under the umbrella of the Sixth Commandment, to not to murder, ill-treating, dishonoring people, dishonoring, not honoring and respecting the image of God in that person whom we are laughing at or teasing. Thankfulness as Christians mean that if we are engaged in these things, if we find it fun to, to pick on somebody, we have to stop these things. We're not to hate anyone either, the Catechism reminds us. Hate meaning a very passionate dislike for someone. Just the thought of them makes you sick to your stomach almost. You cherish the thought of their downfall, of their misfortune, these things are not for us. We are not to hate. Neither are we to injure anyone. We are not to do them or 
uh, harm or cause them harm in any way. And that includes physically, emotionally, even spiritually. And of course, the catechism includes that we're not to actually kill anyone. We're not to take or cause the end of their lives. And brothers and sisters, what must God think? How Christ must grieve that his children, his beloved children, whom he has taken out of the slimy pit, set our feet upon a rock, that we set our faces in anger against each other, that we lash out at each other with our words, that we hold grudges against each other, we don't talk to each other, sometimes for years, that we show in our body language that we don't care for, these per for this person or these people. How disappointed our Heavenly Father must be in us when we participate in these things, either personally or in collaboration with others. The book of Proverbs in chapter 6 says that one of the things that God hates is sowing discord among brethren. It's one of the things that God can't stand to see us do. And, so, and that's, I think that's what the catechism is pointing to here when, we, when it talks about us participating in these things. We don't necessarily attack somebody in our words or however else, but we badmouth them with somebody else. We plant seeds of wickedness in somebody else's minds that uh, make them angry with this person or take out their fury on another person. These things are not for us. The Catechism goes on to tell us, Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. In other words, to harbor angry thoughts against someone who may have hurt us. To wish calamity upon someone who criticized us. To, to delight in the thought of the downfall of someone who acquired something that we wanted. This all is forbidden by the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Which is another way of saying that unforgivingness is not allowed for us as Christians. No matter how we may be able to justify it in our own minds. Because think of it this way, who are the blessed? Who, who did Jesus say was the blessed? The peacemakers. To whom does vengeance belong? To the Lord and Him alone. We have to keep these things in mind. The Catechism reminds us as well that we can even break the Sixth Commandment when we harm or recklessly endanger ourselves. That's a subject all on its own, but, and it can apply to different people in different ways. It's not something that you can delve into too much. Everybody has to examine their own conscience, but we, should, we, can, avoid, we, can, uh, we can say this, at least. We need to avoid any kind of risky behavior or indulgence. So, excessive speeding. That's endangering our own lives. Um, texting and driving. Uh, boys and girls riding our bikes with no hands, jumping from the top bunk. You know, anything in which we put our physical bodies in danger, bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, falls under the... Um, under this commandment, things that we ought not to do. So we are not to recklessly disregard our own lives either, whatever it may be. And beloved of God, may the Holy Spirit convict us of our personal violation of the sixth commandment this afternoon, as only He can. And may He remind us 
of our weakness as his children and remind us that the root of, the, of murder still lies in all of us. And it's something we need to be praying about and seeking that it may be declining more and more in our lives. Things like envy and hatred and anger and vengefulness. These things are to be dying away in our lives, not growing more and more. Let's remember that because of sin, our hearts are bubbling cauldrons of all of these wicked sins, like envy and hatred and anger. And from, these, from our sinful hearts, all of these kinds of murder is produced, things that God clearly forbids in His Word. But as our Savior God calls us to thankful peaceableness in the Sixth Commandment, we see in the second place that this, what this command requires. And so, as with all the commands, all the commandments, it's not as simple, it's not as easy as just avoiding certain things. God also calls us to live as His children. And we hear that in question and answer 107. Is it enough then that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? We answer, no. When God condemns envy, hatred, anger, He commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. And so, we get it. Envy, hatred, anger, God hates that, we get it. They come from the deepest bowels of hell, any thought, word, or deed or, that, that harms our neighbor, either physically, mentally, emotionally, certainly spiritually, all these things are, are no-nos for us. But are we done yet? And the answer is no. There are things that we must do as well. There are attitude changes that we must make. Because a wolf that simply restrains himself from eating the sheep is still a wolf. And so there must be by the gracious power of the Holy Spirit, a rehabilitation in us, a restoration, actually to how we were before the fall, that's the goal, but a reinvention, a recreation into the image of Christ, who is the only perfect Son of God. And Christ-like behavior dictates that we not only refrain from killing or harming our neighbor in any way, we are to seek actively His well-being. The Apostle John reminds us of this in our passage when he says that we ought to love each other. And he sets before us the example of Jesus Christ who showed what real love is by laying down his life for us. And so in contrast to the world, we are to be seeking the good of our neighbor. We are not to be, says John, like Cain, who was of the wicked one, Satan, and murdered his brother. We are to strive with the help of the Spirit to walk in love. We are no longer to be conformed to the pattern of this world. All the violence that this world teaches us and encourages. We are instead to be transformed by the renewing of our minds by the Spirit of Christ. We're no longer dominated by the evil one, are we? We are led by the Spirit of Christ. And so we, as God's children... In thankfulness for his salvation, we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, as the catechism reminds us. 
That means that we are to love our neighbor with the same intensity that we love ourselves. We're to use the same standard of what we think we deserve, what we think we have coming to determine how we are to treat our neighbor. And so you understand, we're talking here about a whole attitude change. Paul writes in Philippians 2 verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. We're talking about a complete attitude change. We are to consider others as hold them in esteem better than ourselves. Now we say, well, that's, that's, a, that's a tough rule to follow, but remember, that's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus set aside his own interests and he promoted ours. He, he sought our good at the expense of his own comfort and safety. And so Christ-likeness is loving our neighbor, seeking his or her peace and safety and happiness ahead of our own. That's the positive side of this sixth commandment. And this Christ-like humility shows itself as we exhibit patience toward people. Led by Christ's Spirit, we begin to understand, or at least we begin to strive to understand that human beings are different in so many ways. And just because we like something done a certain way, it doesn't mean that this person who can't do it or won't do it is inferior to us. We begin to strive to understand that people are at different stages of maturity, even spiritual maturity, at different stages of experience of life. People are... Uh, possess different uh, stages of intellect. And so we begin to show patience with them, remembering how much patience God shows with us every single day. And that's what makes us stand out and stand apart in this world, doesn't it? Because people don't get that from the world. Ask anyone who works in customer service, especially trainees or in the service industry. Ask them if they get respect and people honor them every day. They'll be quickly telling you no. Read the responses of people when someone simply misspells a word in a chat room on the internet and people come down on you with fire and fury, all kinds of insults and abuse. What makes us stand out is that we strive to keep the Sixth Commandment by exhibiting patience with other people. The world must see in us that we are peace-loving and gentle people. These are characteristics, of course, of Jesus himself. Remember that when Jesus walked this earth, it was as a lamb, not a lion. And as we surrender to his Holy Spirit, he will continue to renew us. And we will begin to see hostility dwindle and kindness increasing in us. But we must be surrendering more and more to His Holy Spirit, not holding on to our anger, holding on to our pride and our selfishness. When we surrender to Christ's Holy Spirit, we'll see, we will actually see the volcanic temper making way for mercy. We will see the 
unsociable introvert become more and more outgoing and friendly. The loud and the boorish becomes tranquil and respectful. The Catechism reminds us that we will now be inclined to even protect our neighbor from harm as much as we can. To protect our neighbor would include things like protecting his or her good name so that we do not slander their name, we don't gossip about them, nor do we stand around and allow their name to be slandered. It means warning them of, of dangers, addressing a dangerous habit or behavior. And of course, as God's people, the greatest warning that we must issue to people is about the fires of hell. And we need to tell others about the one way of escape that is through Jesus Christ. That's real Christian love. A love that leads us to do good even to our enemies. By enemies in this context, we're talking here about the haters and the, even the persecutors of the church and of the gospel. Jesus commanded us to love our enemies and to pray for them. This is how we show the world that we are God's children. We help someone who is in need when they are in trouble. We gently correct, we gently teach, and we desire the salvation of all people. Congregation, the sixth commandment calls us then to thankful peaceableness, which, let's be honest, goes against our nature. Which of us would say that we don't savor victory over an opponent? We sometimes can take pride, great pride, in our anger. We can sometimes even defend our hate and our right to not forgive someone. But this commandment reminds us that we are, th these things are no longer for us. They are not proper for us as God's people. Instead, in dependence on Christ's Holy Spirit, all hostility in us must be on the decline, and we should be growing in joy, righteousness, forgiveness, forgiveness, 